0: You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue.
1: Michael, Andre, you know I heard something the other day, and uh, I think it's very apropos to what's going on in the world. And uh, you know we we've we we had a pandemic, we had a lockdown, we got to the end of that. We thought we thought. And uh, there's somebody in this world with, uh, with the initials
0: VP who uh, decided to say, here, hold my vodka. <laughs> I can't remember the last time you were actually poetic. I think we need to start recording these earlier in the day. It's, um, it's noon on Friday, March 11th, and um, you and I both have a glass of wine. And I think uh, we're doing something a little bit French. We're, we're having wine on our lunch break, which is not something that normally would happen... On uh, this continent, but uh, we're joined by Nicola... Hey, speak for yourself, Andre. (laughs) (laughs) We're joined by Nicola Mili from um, Chateau de la Chaise, which is in Beaujolais, which, Michael, you and I are thrilled to have a chance to... Talked to Nicola, and this was set up by Olivia Sue and Nicholas Pierce. Um, I think anyone who's taken a look at like what we talked about on the podcast, or even some of the content that you and I are are uh, are writing about, we're a big fan of a lot of the wines that Nick brings in. Um, he's kind of the king of the like twenty to twenty five dollar really good bottle of wine from regions you might not expect. Like I'm buying Bordeaux from him by the boatload, but it's nice to see more Beaujolais in his uh, in his portfolio. And it's surprising, Andre, that this is the first time that
1: we're not talking just Gamay from Ontario, but actually Gamay from the
0: place that, you know... The mothership, the motherland. The mother,
1: yeah, the motherland. I, like, of, I, think, uh, I, think we, I
0: think we've talked about, like, my trips there, but we've never yeah. talked to someone from Beaujolais.
1: Correct. So we, we'd like to into, uh, introduce our guests uh, and, and have him say hello, at least, if that's the only word he gets in on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thank you, André. Thank you, Michael, for having me today and for letting me speak a little bit about Beaujolais because uh, this region is quite hot right now in in the world. It's great to hear that you say it's quite hot
0: because I know Michael and I, we've been doing wine writing long enough that, I mean, you and I, Michael, right from the very beginning of tasting together in the... um, the Vintages Tasting Labs and, and this and that. Like you and I have always gravitated to Beaujolais. I think up until recently, and, and still to a certain extent, it's one of the last great regions in France where you can get a top notch bottle for really good value.
1: I I've always been a big fan of, of Beaujolais, uh personally. And uh it's interesting also that we are tasting two separate wines, so yes. we can't even compare notes. <laughs> yeah, we, so
0: <laughs> I think that was so, done on purpose so we can't disagree.
1: Correct. So maybe we should let our, our guests talk about uh, about the region first of all, and then we'll get into the wines specifically. How about that?
2: Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, just to to sum up for people, Beaujolais is just located north of Lyon, uh, the second or third city of France, uh, in the center east of, of France, and it's just between Burgundy and the uh, Rhone Valley. Uh, there is a huge debate to to know uh, if we are in Burgundy or not. I don't think we are going to answer this question today, but uh, the debate is is definitely on. Uh, but let's say we are south of Burgundy, and uh, globally, it's fifty fifty five kilometers. Uh, up north uh, in terms of length, and you have two different parts, the north, uh, which is composed of the 10 crews, Saint-Amour, Juliena, Chena, moulin Vent, etc. We can name them uh, later. The 10 crews, they are mainly located on granitic and bluestones uh, subsoils, which are the best terroirs for Gamay. And in the south, you have the clay and limestone soils, uh, where you have also Gamay and Chardonnay, and you produce Beaujolais, Beaujolais Village, and Beaujolais Nouveau, and Beaujolais Blanc. So this is mainly the 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 location and the identity of Beaujolais, and uh, we have twelve appellations.
1: So Beaujolais Blanc is uh, is Chardonnay, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I just knew that. I I wanted to get Andre's reaction to that. Uh, Andre is a huge Chardonnay fan. And uh, I should ask him very quickly, Andre, when you when you visited the region, did you taste a lot of Chardonnay, or did you stick with the Gamay?
0: Oh God, I drank so much. It's it's also like it's it's a really big secret. I'm really curious. Uh, I guess this is bearing the lead a little bit. Bearing the lead a little bit. But does Chateau de La Chaise, Do they make a Beaujolais Blanc?
2: No, unfortunately not yet. But uh, definitely uh, something we are looking at it at it because uh, Beaujolais Blanc today is only two or three percent of the production in, in Beaujolais, and it's growing and the potential. are amazing for Chardonnay.
0: It's definitely a passion project from what I saw. I I visited uh, Domaine de Chasselet and Mm -hmm. uh, they had a Beaujolais Blanc that was like four euros a bottle. So at the time, like six fifty seven dollars Canadian. Fully done in oak. No new barrels. uh, Beautiful, like full malolactic fermentation. And like for seven euros, it's you talk about the debate for Burgundy. I think if you talk to the producers making Beaujolais Blanc, they're happy to say that they're part of Burgundy. I think it's the Gamay producers that want to keep their own identity there.
1: Well, then I I have a real question, though. Um, I like the fact that Burgundy and uh, Beaujolais are are separate. Uh, I know that the Gamay grape was actually kicked out of Burgundy at one point, uh, something I always liked. To, uh, to reference when I'm teaching classes and things like that, that it was considered a disloyal grape, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. But does Beaujolais really want to be part of Burgundy? I think they've made their own identity.
2: Let's say that you have main, mainly, it's its complicated, but mainly you have two points of view. The point of view of the négociant, uh, and in fact in Burgundy you have only one syndicate of négociant, Burgundy and Beaujolais, but the syndicate of uh, wine growers is different. You have one syndicate in Burgundy, one syndicate of Beaujolais. So the wine growers mainly want to have their separate identities, but for negotiants it's really interesting to have the region include, included in Burgundy because it means more a supply uh, of grapes uh, if it's possible when they lack some grapes in in central uh, Côte d'Or and they can afford to have more uh, affordable grapes in southern uh, Beaujolais, in Gamay, in Pinot Noir, in Chardonnay. So, of course, it's more complicated than that, but globally, this is the point of view now. Uh, And in terms of history, of course, Gamay was expelled, but Gamay is a crossing of Pinot Noir and uh, Mm Guéblanc, old uh, white grape, and in terms of aromas and a- evolution of the wine, Gamay wines really look like Pinot Noir when they age. If you taste the old Moulin Avant, an old Morgon, you will say it's Pinot, it's a Pinot, and you will really have these common uh, characteristics uh, in the wines of Gamay compared to Pinot. So uh, if you accept the soil of granite, which is not really subsoils of, of Burgundy, um, let's say that the, the, the kind of wine and the tradition of vinification Is really, really close. So uh, today, I think uh, Beaujolais produced maybe one third of the Cremant de Bourgogne. Nobody knows that, but it's a huge production of of, of Cremant de Bourgogne. And we can produce also Coteau-Bourguignon and bourgogne Gamay Appellation. So in terms of tradition, uh, it's difficult to say we we are 100% the same region. But in terms of Appellation, we we share a lot of uh, production.
0: I, 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 you can correct me if I, if I if I'm wrong, but I have a, a bit of a theory about like where this debate is taking place because it takes about 15 years for a vine to really hit maturity, and I'm thinking about what happened in the late 80s. And don't worry, Nicola, I'm not going to make you pass judgment on George Dubuff, but I think <laughs> uh, what happened in the late. 80s early 90s with Beaujolais Nouveau and the worldwide phenomenon Beaujolais was definitely on an upwards trajectory and then very quickly kind of fell down so I imagine producers in Beaujolais at that point would have been starting to think of ways to fix the reputation and you maybe wanted to put some distance between your product and Beaujolais at the time but here we are now 30 years later wait Yep, that's how time yeah. works. 30 years yeah, later it's, and it's and Beaujolais is starting to come back to its own. Um, do you think the, the impact of the Beaujolais Nouveau effect may have had an, an influence over this debate that's taking place about what's what the identity of Beaujolais
2: is? Yeah, definitely. You, you can name three different phases in the recent history of Beaujolais. First, before the fifties, before the fifties, there was no difference in prices between a Gevre chambertin and a Moulin-avant. The vinification was the same. the 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 approach of the terroirs, the family, uh, the style of the wines were very close. Uh, they were very, very. Um, close identity between uh, Côte de Nuit and Beaujolais style. And then arrived the Beaujolais Nouveau, in fact, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And it was a golden age for Beaujolais because it was easier to sell Beaujolais wines in the 80s compared to uh, Burgundy wines. I think it was easier to sell uh, Beaujolais Nouveau and, and make more money in the 80s than selling Romane Conti uh it's maybe exaggerating but it's it's like that and Beaujolais at that time was a bit arrogant uh, compared to the other regions uh like everybody was a lot of success uh you you begin to think that everything is is uh, easy and you, you you stop questioning yourself you stop improving quality and we have made a lot of mistakes uh so we we have uh, turned Beaujolais into maybe the third most well-known brand in, in the wine world after Champagne and Bordeaux. Everybody knows Beaujolais in the world, but we are m- mostly known for Beaujolais Nouveau, which was at the beginning okay, but after that, it was only for Beaujolais Nouveau. And we forgot about the cruise, we forgot about the single vineyard approach, we forgot about the quality wines. And today, uh, we said that a Bordeaux, when it, get, it gets old, you you got more value And when when a Beaujolais gets old, you lose value because in people's mind, Beaujolais Nouveau, it's a wine that's cheap. It's not going to age for long. And we have a big mix of all of that uh, in all the crews in, in Beaujolais, which is a big problem.
0: And you've said so, so you've identified two you've identified two like important eras, like you talked about the pre fifties and you jumped to the eighties. So what's the third what's the third era then?
2: So the the third for me is really right now. It means since two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we have a, a complete new generation. Uh let's say the the the, the avant garde, the, the people who who lead the new generation was definitely the natural wine movement, uh, the Lapierre, the Foyard, the, the Thévenet, et etc. All those guys who just made the exact opposite of what uh, Beaujolais Nouveau was, which means industrial uh, chemical approach to wine, uh, with uh, why not uh, commercial yeast and uh, uh, banana tastes and uh, uh, chaptalization, adding sugar. We have made all the mistakes possible because it was easy money. And then these guys from the natural wine movement that just promoted uh, clean wines with a, a strong approach to terroir and, and, and a, a very better approach to Appellation and respecting Morgon Cru, respecting Moulin Avant. And from this uh, movement, there is a new generation for 10 years that now tries to work and and uh, and vinify uh, high-quality terroir-driven wines that really respect uh, their location. And those wines are made for uh, cellaring, uh, to, to age well, and to have a, a lot of complexity, which is the opposite of the approach of Beaujolais Nouveau. In fact, Beaujolais Nouveau itself is not a problem. If you if you drink uh, Chateau Margaux uh, en primeur after two months of uh, vinification, uh, it will be not that exceptional. Uh, every great wine in the world need to be proper vinified with a uh, proper maceration and maturation. Uh, if you just have two days of maceration in Cabernet Sauvignon in Château Margaux, you you won't have a big uh, pleasure. So it's exactly the same. It's not the problem of Gamay. It's not the problem of Beaujolais. It's just a matter of vinification and and time of of consumption. So now we are back in the third era of a, like a renaissance in the region with top-quality wines. And the final project of that for us is the Premier Cru project because we are supposed to ask for Premier Cru uh, next year. Uh, we hope so in in Brouilly, Côte de Brouilly, uh, to have Premier Cru maybe in 10 years, 12 years, because Pouilly-Fuissé uh, asked for them in 2008 and got Premier Cru in to- 2020.
0: Hmm. I don't like that.
2: <laughs> I, I, I,
0: <laughs> I, I, I think the concept of Premier Cru is... Um just going to drive prices. It's going to push prices up. And I mean, that, that's good for the producers, but that's bad for me, the consumer, who, like, <laughs> I like to lean into into Beaujolais because of value. Like, Michael and I will will frequently split cases of Dominique Piron, because you can yep. get, like, top-quality bottles for $25, but if we're talking about the, who would likely be Grand Cru, or premier Cru in Beaujolais, you know, people like Marcel Lapierre, like a bottle of Lap- Lapierre Morgan, is still $50 here, which... Is a lot of money, but you mentioned Geoffrey Chamertin and uh, and Vos Like Those are wines that go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You can still get yep. the top, top level of Beaujolais in the market for $50. And I would hate for Lapierre to become 80 90 $100 because he puts Premier Cru on the bottle. <laughs>
2: I un- I understand, but if you look at Meursault Perrier or the the best uh, premier cru in Pomard, uh they are not grand cru, but they're, they're still priced in the market. So it means that the market have already uh, acknowledged and recognized the top uh, terroirs. And if you buy a Moulin avant Roche Gray. Moulin-Van uh, Carquelin or Morgon cote du you, it's already supposed to be a bit more expensive. So the market is always more advanced than the French institution of appellation. And the premier cru is just a, a recognition of that. And uh, just above the fact that we, we are going today to this in 10 years, 15 years, this is not about getting the premier cru. This is about pushing the winemakers and wine growers. understand the quality process of vinification by parcel of harvesting by parcel and identifying every terroir so the idea of this process is really about gathering all together all the wine growers and say okay guys we have great terroirs we need to understand and and uh, identify them and we we need to separate them during our vinification to better uh, express their location that's that's just about that. If we, if we manage to get that, then it's, it's already a success, even if we don't have the Premier Cru, because it means every wine grower will know their terroir better and we can express better terroir-driven wines, which is much more interesting for the consum- consumer.
1: Uh, Andre, I don't know why you're so worried because uh, you will buy a more expensive bottle than I will. So, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: but just because I'm willing to spend the money doesn't mean I I want to. Like, I love the fact that, like, when I was in Saskatchewan, um, I was able to talk to my mom about Beaujolais and give her the crash course. We went to a natural wine bar and, uh, like, I love that we brought up Lapierre. Like, Lapierre is a great wine, not because it's natural, but because it's great wine. Even though they are one of the pioneers in the natural wine movement, but I could go to a private wine shop in Saskatchewan and buy what is. Subjectively, but most people would agree one of, if not the best, producer in Beaujolais for fifty dollars. For you and I to get a bottle of Latache, we're looking at a few hundred dollars. Are you kidding me? It's a few thousand dollars, my friend. Depends on who's making it. <laughs> so, but I mean, but I mean that's the point that that's the point that I'm making. Yeah, I'm willing to spend spend the money, but I like that. And, and that's the thing you and I focus on, even though I'm willing to spend the money. It doesn't mean I don't, like, not. Like, I'm already tasting. So this, <laughs> I'm drinking a Chateau de la Chaise Brouillé, a lieu de la chaise Monopole. Okay,
1: so let's, let's so let's start talking about the wine yes. since you've, you've, you've brought it up. So let's start with the, since you're already on, on the subject of, uh, maybe Nicolas could tell us a little about uh, Brouillé as a as a crew, uh, and then André can give us his, his tasting note, and Nicolas can
2: tell us how wrong he is. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, Brouilly is, is maybe the, more, the most difficult crew to understand because first, it's the largest. Uh, it's a very, very big appellation, more than 1,000 uh, hectares. And and Brouilly is not very homogeneous. You don't have a, one style of bruit. Uh It's the more fruit-driven, maybe one of the most fruit-driven crews in Beaujolais. Very uh, full-bodied, uh, red fruits, dark fruits, very round, very appealing, easy to understand uh, in the mouth, and, and very easy to share with friends. But you have so many different terroirs inside the appellations that it's difficult to say there's just one style of bruit, which is not the case in smaller appellation like Côte de Bruy or Chirouble or Chena, where the identity of the cruise is, is more important. The wine you're tasting is uh, very special because it's coming from... A, a, a mid-slope, uh, one single vineyard, a lieu dit cadastral called La Chaise. Uh, of course, it, it's the same name of the château, which is a, a great chance for us. And we are the only owner of this parcel. Brouilly, mainly the granitic soil, are, are located, uh, especially in the south and, and on the southwest uh, of the side. And, and La Chaise vineyards are all around the castle. We are very lucky to have just one... Contiguous land, 100 hectares of vineyards in one piece, and lachaise is one one part of this piece. And in fact, we are all mid-slope, not in the valley, which were, for example, we were completely uh, protected from frost from last year. And this location, uh, with the facing southeast and a, a great uh, granitic soil, gives you very elegant and very complex wines. And this kind of wine, especially this Liodi, is more. Uh, aging potential wines that you can uh, vinify for a 10 to 15 years, uh, uh, uh potential than uh, just a wine to, to drink in two to three years. Definitely, this terroir is one kind of wine uh, that shows the potential of, uh, of cellaring of Beaujolais.
1: Andre, you want to give us your, uh, your
2: note?
0: Um, I actually had to do a quick Google search to see if 2019 was a hot vintage. Was 2019 a hot vintage?
2: Tricky question uh, okay. because uh, let's say that the maturity is high. We had quite a hot summer, that, but there was so many w- roller coasters in terms of uh, rain and, and heat wave. We have a heat. We had a heat wave in June, uh, then a lot of rain and and etc. So the the fruit is really mature. You can you can classify the vintage as hot in terms of maturity, but regarding the color and the freshness and the acidity. It's difficult to 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 say it's a hot vintage. We 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 say that it's a classical Beaujolais vintage because this is not as heavy as a 2015 or a 2009.
0: It, the wine is a bit of um, a contradiction in itself, but it's also what's great about Beaujolais because the nose. I asked about how hot the vintage is because the alcohol is a little present on the nose. It certainly not quite what I was expecting. And and Nicola, I don't know if you had a chance while you were down here, but we grow a lot of Gamay in Ontario. And I find even in a hot vintage, because it is one of the earlier ripening, grapes will hit maybe 13% alcohol. I don't know unless you're making it at Stratus that you're hitting 14% alcohol. So that was a bit of a surprise. But on the palate, it does deliver a lot of concentrated flavors. It's fruit-driven, as you said. The first sip that I had really had a bit of earthiness and spice on the on the finish. But I'm finding like the second, the third sip, um, it really is completely fruit-driven. The tannin is short and soft. I know you said that this has cellaring potential, and I do agree with you. But this is also one of those wines where 12 months from now, if you decided to open it... You could do so easily without regret like once that tannin completely softens like this is going to be a a fruit roller coaster from like start to finish as it rolls off the back of your tongue classical Beaujolais flavors like all sorts of cherry but mixed in with that little bit of rusticness like wild strawberry or uh blackberry even um this is it's solid Beaujolais
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, I agree. I agree with your description. And, uh, uh, Gamay is always, uh, if you, if you want to compare, I, I think it's, there's no problem to compare with other grapes to try to identify where we are. It's always a, a combination of three other grapes. It's, if it's very elegant, very delicate, and, and when it ages, you really go to Pinot Noir, especially at Lachaise. Uh, you really think you are in Côte de Nuit or some Volnay or Pommard, especially when it's 10 years old, 15 years old. It's really impress- impressive. Then if you are in hot vintages and it's quite young and you have peppery, spices, uh, notes, and then you can really think about Syrah. And Syrah is not that far because it's planted on granitic soil in Côte in Northern Road. But in that, in this kind of vintage, when you have maturity and freshness, I, I, it's really about Grenache. Uh, sometimes if you drink very um, fresh Grenache from the Southern Rhone, sometimes you can have comparable aromas with Gamay. So Gamay is always very interesting because it can bring you to different areas in the world and you, it's always the best trick in blind tasting to bring a Gamay on old Gamay because if people don't know Beaujolais, they will always miss uh, what it is uh, exactly. Interesting. I
1: always, I always find that uh, that Gamay kind of it is very comparable to uh, some of the great wines in the world, such as – or some of the great grapes in the world from – different places, Pinot Noir, uh, Sangiovese, because it's it's got that really lovely, uh, lovely acidity, uh, great with food uh, always. It doesn't seem to matter, you know, whether it's Cru Beaujolais or whether it's Village, Uh, it always just has that great acidity, so it's a very food-friendly kind of wine. Uh, And then um, the other one, which is not a great variety, obviously, and it's a blend, it's uh, Valpolicella, because Valpolicella does have that really lovely uh, acidity to it. It's also a very food-friendly wine, uh, but it also has that great fruit characteristics. Uh, and I and I always think of gamay when i when i think of those other three uh wines and wine styles um so you know I I, to me it always fits in with those great great food friendly easy drinking uh, uh wines even when they're crew um because you know i love crew i have uh, m- a number of crew beaujolais but i also love a, a, a great village they're just wonderful wines
2: Thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and Gamay was completely underrated for years. And now we come back to it uh, because we we see the uh, the potential of Gamay to really be a translator of the terroir, like, uh, like Pinot Noir, for example. And André, André you talk about uh, alcohol and uh, hot vintages. We have more and more hot vintages since 2009. Huh? 9, 10, 11, 14, 15, 17, 18, 20. This is all uh, considered as hot vintages. And Gamay was uh, had a bad reputation in the past for its acidity, and now it's a big advantage for us. Uh, I think Gamay is one of the big winners of uh, global warming because, totally. uh, for example, in 2020, we have big alcohol levels, sometimes 14, sometimes 15, but the acidity level is so high. Uh, the acidity was not destroyed during the 2020 vintage; it was very high even at the uh, at the harvest. And then in the mouth, you, you're tasting a wine which is 15% alcohol, but the acidity is so high that the balance is perfect. And that's the big advantage of Gamay, definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's fascinating. Like I, like I said, there's the there's one winery in Ontario called Stratus that have a reputation for harvesting Cabernet Sauvignon in November and December. But I know a few years ago, their winemaker, uh, sorry, I can never remember. It's JL, right? JL? Yep. Uh, yep. He made a gemmy that we thought for sure was Californian. Like it was just like.
1: Well, it was 145 percent. I think he let it. He he must have. Uh, he for must have about picked it. <laughs> that in sometime in November as well. He just let it let it go. But and it in still fact, had I balance. opened one of those very recently. Oh, how and was it? It was really hard to drink.
0: Really, you didn't. The acid didn't hold on, or. You know, fourteen and a half percent does
1: not really uh, lead lead itself to uh, to really great gamay. And I can ask Nicola oh. is there is there many times that you've had fourteen and a half percent, or is that is the brie fourteen? And the brie
0: the brie is fourteen, and it it might. I'm guessing yep. it might be chemically a little bit higher than that. Uh,
2: no, it's fourteen. In fact, it's fourteen point oh one. Okay, exact, uh, okay, so it's right on. But, but but
0: but he's he is correct in that the the acid. Like the back of my palate is clean. All I'm getting is a little bit of that tannin fuzz, and like the rest of the bottle. Since it's noon here, I'm going to enjoy this after work. And I think no, about... I've seen you. I'm seeing you pour that. You're not enjoying
1: it after work. You're probably going to be finished by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem. us so now actually having a video feed. So there you go. <laughs> um, so so, so like... I'm, see, I'm looking at the the Fleury here. Yeah, let's talk which, about which uh, is thirteen uh, percent. So from the same vintage. Uh, we have uh, we have 13%. So, uh, Nicolas, I'd like you to talk a little bit about Fleury as a region. Uh, and then I'd also, before I give my note on the on the Fleury, uh, I'd like to know um, what crews you're making your wines from. Because obviously you have two, Brouilly and Fleury.
2: But what are the other crews that you're you're making Beaujolais from? We, we are lucky to have Brouilly, Côte de Brouilly, Morgon and Fleury. So four different crews. Excellent. Uh, so let's say that uh, if we had some moulin avant we have the five most well-known crews in Beaujolais because you have in the 10, you have te- five stars and the, the other ones are a bit less known. But all the 10 are really interesting in terms of identity. Chiroube, for example, is maybe the crew of the of the future because Chiroube is very high in altitude and it's very interesting in hot vintages. Uh, so Chena is uh, maybe the best terroirs of Moulin-Avent, uh, etc. So all the 10 crews are really interesting. Uh, Fleury is one of the most well-known, of course it's one of the most granitic cru, uh, and uh, Fleury is a big producer of great terroirs and a lot of candidates for Premier Cru. Uh, for example, La Chapelle des Bois, Champagne, La Madone, uh, etc., Les Grands Fers, uh, La Roilette, uh, Les Moriers. Fleury is really the home of a lot of amazing terroirs and, and future big, big uh, uh, wines uh, and, and already today, wineries producing fleury, I quad stars, and you think about uh, Claude Laroulette, uh, right. uh, for example, uh, one of the top top uh, producer there. So, fleury is really interesting because very homogeneous compared to what we said really is really under- complicated to understand because it's it's more div- different in terms of soils. Fleury is really about pink, a typical pink granite. Uh, so the the wines are really also quite easy to, to recognize because it's a it's a good coincidence, but the wines, I really like the name of the village. The name of the village is Fleury, meaning floral in in, um, in French. And in fact, those wines are really into this kind of floral, delicate aromas, not too many tannins, uh, very, very ethereal. And it's it's always like that. I, even if you are on a village uh, a blend side, or if you are on a very uh, complex uh, single vineyard, it's always like that.
0: It's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that, though, because you, you mentioned Claude de la Roulette, and at, at the same time, Claude de la, la Roulette are not known for making particularly... I, I say this as a compliment if any, anyone from Claude de la Roulette is listening to this, but they aren't elegant. They they kick you in yeah. the face with concentration, and it's it's they're really trying to push into that, like, Pinot-esque, like, I'm going to see how concentrated I can make this, I'm going to see how big I can make this, and... I mean, they're great, Michael. Have you ever had Cl- clove de la wallet? I do not believe so. I will. But I will I, track I, down I, a bottle. I, am, and bring I you am really enjoying this 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 Fleury,
1: and it's um, it's really interesting because uh, I, I, I I always taste with a pencil. I, I'm I'm holding it up, up into the video, but I have not made another note since uh, Nicolas started talking because I, I I my first note, right off the bat, from nose to taste, was lovely, delicate, and floral. Uh, which is it's just screaming right out of the uh, out of the glass on the on the palate as well i I just really enjoy the sour cherry the the wild raspberries the the white pepper uh, but that acidity just cleans everything up and it you know Andre's talking about a wine that he has it's 14 percent that he could smell alcohol and and the moment he said that because you would say you had talked about 19 I went back to my glass and I started sniffing at it and I'm like I don't know what the hell he's talking about and realizing I don't even have the wine that he has so that, you know, I, 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 you know, usually I, 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 when we're tasting the same wine, I'm like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about sometimes, but, (laughs) but, but but this time having a different wine, I think I'm happier to have this wine uh, because of that lovely delicacy that this wine has. 13% Thirteen percent acidity that is, and I love a good acidic wine. This would be great with so many different foods. Um, it's it's uh, it's absolutely love that little little note of white pepper that comes in here. It's just a wine that I I I, I want to sip on, but I also want to put a chill on, put a little sleeve on it, get it into the fridge for about 20 minutes. And then my question uh, to you, Nicola, is what is your thoughts on, one, chilling Beaujolais? Is it one of those wines that needs a chill or does not? And then two, I'm going to go into glass style. Which kind of glass do you recommend that
2: Beaujolais is good for? So first question, in fact, we have no problem about chilling the wines. We think Gamay should be drunk a little bit uh, chiller than a Pinot Noir. Uh, So if you talk about classical village uh, appellation like Fleury that we have, if it's just out of your cellar, 13, 14 degrees Celsius, it's perfect. Uh, If you have a single vineyard, which is a bit more uh, complex and and, and more um, aged, maybe you go to 15 or 16, but... Gamay, I think we oh, we think it's it should be a little bit drunk, a bit chiller than than Pinot Noir. Uh, then for the glass, uh, it's really interesting because we asked uh, Riedel uh, from uh, Austria to to come uh, with all their glassware at the estate a few years ago, and uh, let us taste all our wines in all their glasses. And of course, we thought uh, stupidly that the best choice at the beginning would be the Burgundy glass uh, because of the uh, the link with Pinot Noir. But in fact, the Gamay, our Gamay was not very expressive and interesting in the Burgundy glass of Riedel. And in fact, the best uh, impact and the best concentration of flavor and the best interest in terms of glass was the Zinfandel and Riesling glass from Riedel. So white wine and Zinfandel glass. Interesting. Um, well, yeah, I now I'll have to go look at, at the, uh, the glasses for that.
0: Oh, so they put Riesling and Zinfandel in the same glass for Riedel. That's interesting.
2: Okay, so. I think so. Yeah. Okay, I think so. It's the one category.
0: Michael, I'm going to let you ask the next question. I'm going to run downstairs to grab. It looks similar in shape to the regular white wine glasses that we have. Mine are downstairs. I'm going to go grab one.
1: Talk amongst yourselves. Got it. So I'll, I'll be talking to Nicola while, uh, while you do that. And then I will also go grab a white wine glass. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll very often uh, not do this. <laughs> so, so Nicola, I do have a question with regards to closure. And uh, Andre said to me that he has a he, he has a natural cork. Uh, I opened mm-hmm. up mine and was almost aghast to see that you have. A um uh, a plastic cork or or what is called a noma cork uh, yep. in this in this wine, uh, which to me uh, is is saying that you do not think the fleury will age as well as say the the bruy will will age. Uh, am I correct in that, or is there some reason that you go with these plastic pieces of crap? Or uh... it's
0: not plastic, Michael. Get off of it. No, no, these are these are Noma. He
1: said they're Noma, so they are plastic, and and I don't I don't care what they say about these things. They do not age well. I have been through so many of them, and I'm trying to talk winemakers, if nothing else, to at least tell me underneath your uh underneath your capsule somewhere on your bottle, say that it's synthetic cork, because I will buy synthetic cork wine. But if it says somewhere, then I know to drink it sooner. If. I'm aging it, and I get to the, you know, ten year mark, the fifteen year mark, and I open and see one of these things underneath. I am almost guaranteed. I am ninety five percent guaranteed that it is going to be a wasted wine to drink, and I have yet to 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 be proven wrong on that. Uh, the only time that I have been proven wrong was one really rich uh california wine and i think it just had so much fruit in it that it just it was gonna it was gonna win no matter what uh but but 95 percent of the time the plastic corks uh, uh after after five years are are a disaster so nicola tell me why you chose this particular closure and and if i'm right or wrong about my assessment about the, the longevity of
2: the fleury versus debris Yeah. So the first approach is that we try to have two different range in, uh, we have a range and inside two different wines, single vineyards on one side and and blends and what we call village or blends on the other side. The villages, the the blends, we always have one Brouilly, one Fleury, one Côte de Brouilly, one Morgon. They're always, they're always blends of different areas of different parcels. And you have every year one wine out of one village. Those wines, they are vinified and, and they are, uh, yeah, they are vinified to be drunk in six to ten years. This wine should be on the fruit, easy drinking, to share with friends, uh, to, to pair with any food. Uh, it's it's our the heart of the range and it's easy to understand. This wine, if you want to keep the fruit, you need to, to imprison the fruit inside the wines. It's not the wine that will age for 30 years. It's not the point. So if you need to do that, we, we start with, with different tests. And we uh, we were asking about different types of corks. The first test that we made on the 19 that you got was Noma Cork. So they say it's about sugarcane. So you call it plastic, but they call it sugarcane. So I won't go into the debate. I, I let you have a podcast with these guys at Nova Cork. But for us, it's sugarcane. And then... It, of course, the wine with this cork will maybe not age for 40 years, but it will so keep the fruit fresh that even if the wines uh, travel a, li- a little bit, if you open it uh, right now only two years, the fresh will the fruit will still be very, very fresh. And that's exactly what we want to achieve on those kind of wines. Then... We started this year to change and go to DiAM, and we changed to DiAM5 uh, because we have made some different tests. And of course, it's difficult when a project like us starting in 2017 to have a, a, a big um, uh, feedback and, and big track record on corks. But our tasting sessions showed that maybe DiAM was the best way to protect this fruit. So now the, the Fleury 2020, the, the same wine you got, will be corked with DiAM5. Okay,
0: so <laughs> so you. so I mean, you're kind of making Michael's argument about the quality of Noma Cork as a closure that you moved away from it pretty quickly after after they're using it. So
2: it, it's it's not a matter of quality. Uh, unfortunately, we think the quality of the wine was good, but it was both the the image. As you said, you're not the first person to tell us. I think it's plastic. Uh, so that's that's a problem for us because this is our image. So that's the first argument. and then of course, the tasting uh, showed that the M5 was a bit maybe a bit uh, f- more faithful to the wine than the Mackov, but the, the the difference was not that much. so it's it's, it's more about our image uh, than, than anything else. And on the Seagull vineyards, it's the opposite approach. We want the wine to age forever. And of course we have no choice than to put the best uh, natural coke as possible and we go to the ende uh, uh, family of cork which means that is uh, top quality natural coke with uh, TCA free approach that's, that's <laughs> all I can say is, is thank you look
1: I am not trying to put normal coke out of business I, I am that is not my, my job um, I think that they, they they do a good job I just what I really want is I want producers to tell me that they have this kind of cork underneath either on the back on the yeah. back label so that when i open it up in 10 years i at least had a warning that it might not last that long and i again andre i don't want to get off on my on my cork on on my cork soapbox i, I don't think it's the same I,
0: closure i've been with you when we've opened plastic closed wines i don't think it's the same closure but i then i do agree with you like it is highly suspect that people like thomas bichelder and now we have uh, Chateau de Lasciers, who have also moved away from the closure almost as quickly as getting to it, and that's Nicolas. That's a separate debate, separate podcast for another time. I actually think we may <laughs> take you up on. I, I think Michael, it may be worth reaching out to people from Noma Cork to see if they'll come on the podcast, so you can just yell yep. at them for. An, an,
1: well, I just I visited them years ago, and I can tell stories. But uh, so let, let's so... let's
0: move let's move back to the wine. I've I've switched my wine from I was drinking out of a Burgundy glass, and that's generally my default setting for Beaujolais, uh, especially yep. what I'm drinking like. Uh, Lapierre, Dominique Piron are both wineries that I think are aiming in a more Pinot esque style with their um, their vinification. This Bouillie, once I moved it to the smaller glass, the uh, alcohol has been tamed. It's completely under control. I'm not getting that yep. warmth on the nose that I was getting in the bigger glass. I think the uh, alcohol was just pooling in the in the fishbowl and hitting the nose. And yep. um, even on the back palate, this wine's only been open for forty-five minutes. The tannin is much softer in the uh, in the white wine glass. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I it's think still, it's, and the fruit flavors are still the same. The, the fruit flavors mirror what I was getting in the bigger closure in the bigger glass.
2: Yeah, I opened the Marseillais two thousand eighteen yesterday at home, and it was quite high in alcohol. In the Burgundy glass, the alcohol was dominant.
1: So. Um, Andre, I'm going to uh, uh, speak to uh, to the Fleury in um, in three different glasses. Yep. So I had uh, I had a Burgundy glass. I loved the acidity that I that I got out of that, and it's something that I expect from Burgundy glasses in Chardonnays and Pinots to really accentuate the the acidity. Uh, I moved it to a white wine glass. Uh, I found the nose to be lovely, but I, I found that it didn't do anything for the palate to make me go, wow, that's, that's really changed it, but it did close up the acidity a bit. Um, I have this weird glass that I received from Don Maximiano, um, a long time ago. And, uh, it is, it is, I can't, I don't even know how to explain it. It looks like a Bordeaux glass, but it, it's, it's a little slimmer. And, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Nicola, uh, the nose is atrocious. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even want to put this in my mouth, but the interesting part is when I do put it in my mouth, the fruit just roars. The acidity is a little bit more tamed, but you know, it, it speaks more to, uh, to cherry and raspberry and, and white pepper. And then the floral also comes onto the nose, onto the, onto the palate. But, um, the nose does nothing to make me want to drink this wine, and and I think so. If one you have a Don beauties... Maximiano
0: glass at home, do not drink this wine out of the Don Maximiano <laughs> glass. Correct, but I mean,
1: I, I mean, uh, the palate is fantastic. I would drink it all day long. It's just I can't, I can't smell it because it's, it's terrible. All, all but right. It, you know...
0: Sorry, Michael. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just looking at the time here because we've been talking for 40-some minutes. And one of the reasons we were having on was actually to talk about the estate, uh, Chateau de Chaise. And, and before we hit record on the tape, uh, it turns out I've actually been to the property. That would have been n- nine years ago in 2013. Um, and I uh, what I remember about the estate is a beautiful garden out front with topiaries. And if you've uh, if you've ever read The Shining by Stephen King... Topiary gardens are—they kind of creep me out a little bit, but I also think they're wonderful. Like just the amount of of effort that goes into styling. Michael, have you read the book?
1: Uh, the Shining. I think I saw the movie. I do love Stephen King, but that's another story. Uh, it's it's I like some of his mid his mid range stuff, somewhere around Tommyknockers and It. Yeah, yeah. And, so and like so
0: that. so in the in the Shining in the book, there's a whole scene in a topiary garden that is way more terrifying than the uh the scene in the hedge maze in the movie so if you haven't read the book i highly recommend doing it but then i also remember just uh, like the the massive uh chateau and the wine shop and that's and that's about it i visited a a lot of wineries so i'm glad to have a chance to revisit these but you said that there's a lot of uh, changes that have taken place at the winery since the last time i was there
2: yeah, it's it's uh, hard to, to tell everything that has changed since 2017 in, in, in only a few minutes, but uh, I, I invite everyone to come to the estate because it's maybe today in France, maybe the most ambitious wine project today in France. It's a 100 million euros investment in total in the property. Uh, So if we make just an identity card, just rapidly about the estate since 2017, we acquired vineyards in Côte de Brouilly Fleury in Morgon because before Lachaise was only in Brouilly. So now we own 150 hectares. So we are the the largest family owned estate, certainly in South Burgundy uh, and maybe the largest chateau, wine producing chateau in the entire uh, region. Uh, with the uh, 150 hectares and we have of course 100 hectares in one piece in bruit protected by forest and woods and in total we have 500 hectares so we have a we have a huge property the property is largest larger than the Côte de Bruy appellation itself wow so it's, it's very very important and it's a huge responsibility for us to uh, start projects around biodiversity and using our woods to uh, be carbon neutral and use renewable energy because now, since 2017, the castle will use only geothermal energy and solar panels uh, to produce its own electricity. And the final goal is to be self-sufficient in, in energy. So that's uh, a big part of our project because the owner uh, had uh, previous activities in renewable energies, uh, wind farms, solar panels, dams. So now we try with geothermal and, and solar panels to, to do that again. And it's, uh, we call it the autonomous uh, village. So that's a huge, huge project. We invested 22 million just in the winery to renovate the winery from the 18th century. is as long the the roof is as long as Notre Dame de Paris in Paris, and it uh, covers the the longest cellar in Beaujolais, 108 meters, where we changed all the the foudre, the oak vats, and we installed 50 new oak vats in the longest cellar in Beaujolais. So it's a it's a huge investment, and we built. Uh, an underground winery in the mountain just in front of the old ones, just to store the wines and bottle everything and we connected the new winery and the old wine to have a full gravity system because some of the top cuvées will now be completely uh, bottled uh, by gravity so from the harvest by hand in small crates to the final bottling line uh, the wine won't see any pump so so Nicola I, I I
1: this is this is just blatant uh I I don't I don't even know what it's called Andre but um it, it to to bring Andre and I out there will cost you less than 100,000 euros. Uh we'd love to see what's going on there. So if you want to invest, uh, you know, a few hundred euros in a couple of, uh couple of wine guys coming out and checking it out and and podcasting You're with you right there at Michael. the property, we'll definitely uh uh, definitely love to come out and check that out.
0: you're completely it would be a pleasure. Michael um I, I guess the one question I have before we start getting to the the wrapping though is you talked about replacing all the all the foudre. Uh, and I know for certain wineries it's a point of pride when you have older Foudre and just the fact that the wood has no impact blah blah blah. What was the main reason behind getting rid of the um, the old Foudre? is it uh, like I, I guess I'll let you just go ahead and and tell me what the reasoning was.
2: Yeah, the, the, for us, it was very, very old. Some of them were 70 years old and it was not clean enough to to make wine in good conditions, we thought. So it was good time to start over. The old project was about, let, let's start over, let's uproot 70 hectares of vineyards and, and replants, let's change everything. So the food, we say, we change everything in three years, not to to have too much impact on the wines. So we changed uh, one-third in 18, one-third in 19, one-third in 20, which means now... The 2021 vintage will not see any new oak, so that's a good thing. And and in fact, uh, we we asked to six different cooper's. And if we if you have big uh, big size uh, like nine thousand liters, six thousand liters, three thousand liters, even if they are new, the impact of wood is very very low uh, because it's a big size. So gamay is very fragile, very prone to uh, wood uh, wood tastes, and we think. Personally, that the taste of new barrel, a small one, is a bit too much for Gamay. Some Gamay in great terroirs like moulin vent Morgon, Coudoupi can really handle new new barrel, but for for Brouilly or for the other appellation in general, Gamay prefers to have just small. Um, micro oxygenation with the, with the wood or with concrete, but if when it's new and small it's it's too it's too strong, so we changed everything and it was done and to come back to the viticulture, we also decided to change uh, the trellising system because as you know, Beaujolais is very well known for goblet pruning mm-hmm. and goblet pruning is uh, very ancient. It's a tradition in our region. It's very high density, but it's not very adapted uh, to uh, organic uh, conversion. We, we will be certified organic this year in 2022. And in fact, if you want to plow the soils, if you want to manage your cover crops, if you want to have a better air flows uh, in, your, uh, in your rows, etc., gobelet can be an obstacle. So we decided to change that and we are going to switch entirely to double cordon royale. And we are going to trellis every rose and to enlarge a little bit of rose from one meter to one meter 40. And that's a big revolution in, in the region because normally 90% of the region is goblet pruning. And now we are the leader in saying we need to change our viticulture system if you want to be organic on a large scale.
1: So, um, uh, first of all, I, I want to uh, to tell you, Nicola, that uh, uh Uh, Now that the wine has been in this Don Maximiano glass, it smells a hell of a lot better. So it's been there a while. So it's been, it's, it's come accustomed to its new home and, and it smells a lot better. Still tastes great. So I'll, I'll say that, uh, to your point about, uh, the, the larger barrels, um, and I don't know if this is, is, is all over France or just for the Beaujolais region or just for your winery, but uh, having visited Italy a number of times, I know that especially with Sangiovese and Sagrantino, uh, they are starting to get into the larger barrels, the older barrels, and away from uh, also French barrels. Sorry about that, Nicola. I'm just I'm just saying. They're, they're getting <laughs> into the, the Slavonian oak and stuff like that. But um, it's nice to see and, and that allows, and that allows the fruit to to express itself better. Uh, it, it allows for oxygenation to be better. Um, it just it just uh, uh, makes a nicer wine. So I'm glad to see that you are also uh, leaning in that direction uh, with your your Italian counterparts with wines that are either delicate or uh, when they get too much oak, uh, just just end up getting crushed by 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 oak so uh older smaller barrels uh larger barrels um uh, you know that's it's great to hear and that the that the wine industry that you know andre and i love are are creating or starting to realize i guess that um you know oak does not have to be the dominating uh robert parker experience that people are are, are have been come to know I
0: guess. well you you just andre that question that's usually
1: oh, there was no question, it was a comment. It was it was totally a comment whereas I didn't ask him anything, if you noticed, where I if I were to Andre the the, uh, the comment, I would have talked for 5 minutes and, and then, then had a question at the end that had nothing to do <laughs> with what, with I, what, what saying, I had okay, just okay. said.
0: Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so 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 I, I know from my ex- experience, like having visited some of the wineries in the Rhone that they're starting to move to the um, uh the punchons. i can't remember i just can't remember the uh the food the, the punchins the, the large you know the, the, the large the 5, the 550 Six, liters 6, but 6, i know liters I... the nine thousand liters yeah no, no no the the punchins 550 liters and okay. like, this is uh at domaine de Remizier, where like everything was in 225s and you can see like there's a line in the sand around 2020 where they're starting to bring in the larger barrels so i don't know if um i don't know if that is a trend across Beaujolais and burgundy where we're starting to see i i, I can guarantee you that no no one in France is bringing in Slovenian barrels. Uh, that
1: uh... no, I, I'm sure they're not. It's it's very it's very Italian. But but what I'm saying is that that I have a a producer that I know of in um, in Sagrantino il uh, il Bucale, and and he made a, a like a five or six year uh, trend where he moved out of all of his small barrels. And, he, you know, he did, uh, you know, 20, uh, 80% small barrels, then si- then 60, then, then uh, 40, then 20, then no, all to large barrels. And his wine has improved immensely. And tasting through that, um, through that progression was amazing how, you know, six years ago, his wine was just all wood and maybe a little bit of fruit and a lot of tannin. And, and now uh, he's just sent me uh, uh, his new Rosso. And I have the Sagrantino as well, which I'm really looking forward to. But his new Rosso is absolutely just fruit-driven. Granted, it's 14.5%, 15% alcohol, and uh, I don't remember what my last glass tasted like, but I remember the glasses up until that point were absolutely just delicious.
0: I, I there was no question there either sorry I was waiting to Correct. it's Nicola all comment it's all
1: commentary now it's it's we, we stopped asking Nicola we're just looking at his face um, and <laughs> and watching him Nicola I want to tell you that your wines are are, are wonderful and I am so glad that they are that are that they are coming into uh, Ontario I want to thank Nicholas Pierce for you know finding these wines and, and bringing them to us yes uh, and Nicola do you have anything final to say besides Andre and Michael your tickets are in the mail <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you. No, thank you very much for anything. I think it's the the best timing to to talk again about Beaujolais uh, in the world, in every markets, and and to talk about Beaujolais on the terroir, on the cruise, on the appellation, on the vinification, on the technical side. And on the new generation, and and we we don't we are not ashamed of Beaujolais Nouveau, but it's it's something in the past, and and something that need to to change a little bit, because we if we all the regions want to grow again and be back on the wine scene, we need to talk about serious great wines that can be aged forever, and that's what we need to to prove to the consumers.
0: I really love Beaujolais, and. I don't know. I don't think we said it in the, in the podcast, but I know you uh, have asked them to get us out there. And I would love to go out there to to do um, a journalist trip, spend a few days to do some tasting because I've had the chance to be there a couple times. And it's a shame that we, we haven't been out there together. I think we would do some real damage.
1: Oh, uh, there's no, there's no doubt that we would, we would do some damage at uh, in in Beaujolais. Uh, I, I just absolutely loved my bottle of, of wine here, Andre. I'm sorry that you could not get a sip of it. That's okay. Uh, I, I,
0: actually I- really, in in spite of the alcohol on this, it's really good. And frankly, it checks all the boxes of what Beaujolais can be. I know Nicola talked about global warming or the the impact of climate change, and I think Gamay is one of those grapes that's going to be a winner because it does. Quote well with warmer vintages, warmer client climates, uh, concentration, but can still hold on to the acid. In spite of the fourteen percent alcohol, it's still balanced.
1: You know, you don't see a lot of uh, you don't see a lot of gamay in uh, in California uh, because I think they burn the heck out of this. Yep, um, and, and and it's just uh, I don't know. I'm so glad that we got to speak to to Nicola on our first Beaujolais. Uh, you know who I'd really love to uh, to speak to. You do know, I know you know who I'd love to speak to. Dominique Piron if we could ever get him on
0: oh it would... uh, it would be him or uh, Julien uh, Revillon who uh, also has a hand in it let's see what I can do oh, about I know that. you're
1: going you 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 know throw out a business card or two, um, pitch it if you put it this way if you have to uh, uh, say we'll do the podcast right now uh, do it
0: <laughs> okay, let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Um, I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. Now actually being updated regularly. Uh, if you want to wow. see my thoughts on the 2019 Le Clos Jordan wines, um, I think one of my more unfiltered, unfiltered reviews... The uh, juice in the bottle is is good, but probably not what you're expecting from Le Clos. And also, I don't understand why Artera, in a world where sustainability is front and center, are moving to these like really heavy, burgundy-shaped bottles. It's really kind of embarrassing for the direction the industry is going. That's all I'm going to say about that. Read the rest at AndreWeinerview.ca. Actually, I'll uh, I'll give
1: a th- shout out to uh, Babbage, which is uh, New Zealand wine. Uh, their 2020 was in a big, thick, fat bottle. You know, I love uh, I love a good Sauvignon Blanc, and their 2021 uh, is almost half the size uh, of a bottle. So, uh, so shout out to them uh, for being more, uh, yeah, I guess, equal friendly. So, I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview dot com. Uh, the grape guy on um, most social media. Uh, but Michael Pincus on some others you can find me at. Uh, Of course, there is Patreon. Uh, Please take a look there. Um, You know, we we appreciate anything that you can give. A dollar, two dollars, three dollars a month, five dollars. We always can uh, use the help, and uh, making this podcast better is always our goal. Andre, would you like to take it away this afternoon? Good night. But it's the afternoon. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.